All right, and if you are a guest with us tonight, we want to thank you for, for being here. We uh, have been studying the book of Revelation on Sunday nights. We did it on Sunday morning for a long time, and right now we're picking that up on, on Sunday night because of what we're doing on, on Sunday mornings. But we do want to welcome you and thank you for being here. I would like to ask all of you folks that are on the end of the pew, if you would take the, the notebook that is there and uh, sign it and begin to send it down. You folks who are guests with us tonight as it comes to you, if you take just a second to fill out the requested information down at the bottom. And you know, if you're here tonight, you have questions about the Bible, uh, the Christian life, God, and all of that, we'd like to invite you to be a part of really the lifeblood of this, this ministry, the ministry of discipleship, which is basically a one-on-one relationship where someone sits down with the Bible and begins to, to build a foundation, and begins to help you to understand what that big book is, is really all about. So if you'd be interested in that as it comes to you, just check the, the, the box, and, uh, and we'd appreciate that. All right, let's, let's turn to the book of Revelation. And we have been talking about, really, the theme of the Bible, and... The theme of the Bible is really all about the kingdom that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to establish on this earth, we believe, in the very near future. And in Revelation chapter 20, in the first 10 verses, what God does is He just clears off a little space. He's been taking a lot of space to be talking about the seven years of tribulation. And now He's going to cover a thousand-year period in 10 verses. And because we spent... Probably, I I haven't gone back to check it out, but we probably spent a year and a half covering the chapters dealing with the tribulation period. And you know what? Uh, Even I could teach these ten verses in two weeks probably. But with what is given right here in the book of Revelation, if that's all that you've ever studied in terms of the millennium, you might be just a little short-handed. Because I want you to understand this. The whole book... The whole Bible I'm talking about, not the book of Revelation. The whole Bible is really all about this period of time, and that's why God can just clear off ten verses and kind of just clean up. But if that's all we understand coming out of our study of the book of Revelation, I think we're going to be a little bit limited. So what we've been doing over the last several weeks is I've been trying to give you what I'm calling a crash course on the millennium. And even, even then, this is, you know, we're, I'm trying to hit high points in the Bible so that you can begin to see how this, this thing of the millennium actually unfolds. We, we looked, first of all, at the first inference of the millennium, which is found in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, because there is a day, the seventh day in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, that God specifically blesses. He sanctifies that day. He sets that day apart and aside for himself because that day is the Lord's day. It happens to be a day that has no evening and no morning, and it happens to be a day of rest, which the God of the Bible does not need because he's God. And so you begin to look at that. You begin to go to Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 8 where he says that a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. You plug that into the equation and what you find is in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God is laying out that there will be 6,000 years of human history. That seventh day, watch that one because that's the Lord's day. 
That's a thousand-year day that has no evening and morning that the Lord has specifically blessed and set apart unto Himself as a day of rest, a thousand-year day of rest on this planet. That's the first inference of the millennium in the Bible. You can't even get into the second chapter before God just says, here's what I'm pointing toward. Here's what we're moving toward. Then we looked at the timing of the millennium. Going through those six days, we began to just follow the days of the week and we began to see how God specifically designed those days in the Bible to show us six days and then watch that seventh one, that seventh thousand year period. Then we looked at the pictures of the millennium in the Bible and then last week we started looking at the names for the millennium. Just so that you could begin to get acquainted with when you see this particular phrase or this particular word so that you would know that this is the period of time that God is talking about that we refer to. We call the millennium. It's not a Bible word. The thousand years is, is where we get that milli meaning thousand and annum millennium, uh, annum meaning year, thousand year, the millennium. And the first name that we looked at was the kingdom of what y'all? I'm I'm sorry, I couldn't understand that. The kingdom of the kingdom of heaven. And what we did last week is we went on a, a little journey to just make sure that we understand that there is most definitely a difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Okay, and in terms of kingdoms, let's just see how you remember. The kingdom of God is what kind of kingdom, y'all? It's a spiritual kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is what kind of kingdom? It's a physical. Some of you said literal, and you're both right. It is a literal, physical kingdom on the earth. It is a Davidic kingdom. That is, it has to do with David. It is a governmental kingdom. It is a political kingdom in which the Lord Jesus Christ will rule and reign on this planet from his throne of his father David in Jerusalem, and he'll rule over the entire world. Now, and if you weren't here, if you weren't here last week, you know what? Last last Sunday night, uh, and it's, we're certainly not promoting tapes around here, but that's uh, that's a real important thing that you understand: the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. If all you have to do is just go to the Bible and let the Bible be the Bible, and it's going to define for you what the kingdom of God is, this spiritual kingdom. And you'll see that this thing of the kingdom of heaven is something that is specifically reserved for one book of the Bible. The kingdom of heaven, that phrase is found 33 times in the Bible. They all appear in the same book. It's the gospel of what? The gospel of Matthew, the gospel that is written to the Jews. The kingdom of heaven, that literal, physical, Davidic, governmental kingdom on the earth over which Jesus Christ will rule and reign. That kingdom is also referred to as the kingdom of Israel. And it is what has been promised in the Old Testament. And guys, listen, there's over 700 references in your Old Testament to that kingdom. It's all pointing to the fact that Jesus Christ would come to this planet and he would establish a kingdom where he would rule and reign and those promises were given to the nation of Israel. And of course he came unto his own, his own 
received him not, and so we entered into a biblical parenthesis where we find ourselves as predominantly Gentiles in a spiritual kingdom, the kingdom of God. But what we talked about is the kingdom of heaven, that literal, physical kingdom promised to the Jews. It will come to pass. And that is what is going to be taking place on this planet immediately after the seven years of tribulation. But but let me take you back to the Gospel of Luke for just a second and show you something that is is very interesting. Luke chapter 4. Now, Jesus has begun his his public ministry here in Luke chapter 4. And look with me in verse 14. It says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. Everybody's talking about this, this new preacher in town. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, or Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Now just hold up for just a second. Make sure that you understand that when Jesus walks in, they didn't hand him something that looked like this. Okay, at this time, what a book was, and you, you've probably seen these, the, the, the sticks, the rods that they kind of roll those things up. What they did is they came and they brought this to him, and we know from the Dead Sea Scrolls, which was the book of Isaiah, that if you stretch that thing out, it would basically stretch almost across this entire platform, the book of Isaiah. It's 23 feet long. So they come and they bring him the book, of Isaiah, so when it says that when he found the place, he's kind of working it a little bit to, to to find his place. It's not quite as easy back in those days as it is for us. But watch this: he found the place where it was written, "The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind." to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Watch the punctuation now, period. And he closed the book. He gave it to the minister, sat down, and the eyes of, of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. Nice little story. But boy, it takes on a whole new significance when you begin to go to the book of Isaiah and you see this passage that he actually fulfilled in their sight, and you see what takes place there. So you might want to just hold your your finger right there in the book of Luke and go back to Isaiah, this place where he was actually reading. It's Isaiah 61. And look at verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Okay, does it sound familiar? Because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Watch this now. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. What's the punctuation? 
comma, and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn, or that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Now, what's up with that? Jesus is just reading along, and he comes, this is the acceptable year of the Lord, and he closes it, and he says, this is fulfilled in your ears today. But when you go back and you check it out, he stopped right in the middle of a sentence and put a period there. What's up with that? Now listen, Jesus Christ was coming to the nation of Israel. But it was dependent upon whether or not they were going to receive him as to whether the kingdom was going to be established. And you know what he did? He stopped right there because at that point in his ministry, it depended upon what the nation of Israel was going to do. The acceptable year of the Lord had come because the king was there among them. The king over the kingdom of God, the spiritual kingdom. The king over the kingdom of heaven the literal, physical kingdom. But it was dependent upon what they would do with their king, whether or not all of the rest of those prophecies would be fulfilled. And so rather than say, they're fulfilled now because I'm here, he just puts it on hold. Because you know what? They didn't receive him. Now again, all of this is going to come to pass. The kingdom of heaven is going to come to this planet it was offered to the nation of Israel once, and they rejected it. And now you and I are the recipients of that spiritual kingdom because we've been born into God's family. But what I'm trying to get you to see here, this thing of the kingdom of heaven, this millennial reign of Jesus Christ, it is literally all over the Bible. You cannot pick up any book of the Bible and not find it in there. God has been pointing to this time. Now, this whole thing that we talked about last week of the kingdom of heaven, this literal, physical kingdom, Davidic, governmental, all, all of that, that stuff. You know what? Let, let, let me just take just a second to show you how understanding that can help you to understand some things that have come down in history. Now, I, I, I don't know who all is, is here tonight. There may be some folks who are guests with us who are coming from a background uh, maybe you come from a Roman Catholic background. We welcome you here, and, and I'm thrilled beyond measure that you're here. I, I do not intend right now to blast your faith. I, I do want you to understand something that you could go, or any of us could do, we could go to a, a Catholic encyclopedia, and we could begin to find out that there have been some unbelievably horrific atrocities that have been meted out upon mankind in the name of religion. In fact, in the name of the Roman Catholic Church. And again, I'm not trying to take pot shots. All I'm doing is just telling you right now what is a matter of historical record. You don't have to dig very deep to find it. It's even a part of Catholic history. And, you know, it's one of those things that is just... It's just so weird. I mean, how could anybody in the name of Jesus 
justify some of the atrocities. And, and, and uh, you know, we, we've talked a lot about the atrocities. If I began to just go through them, you know what? It would change the entire complexion of this night. I, I mean, people who were treated, listen, because they believed that Jesus Christ alone was a Savior apart from any church and apart from any works, all of the people throughout history that championed that cause, that you come to Jesus Christ by faith and faith alone through what He did for us apart from any church. Do you understand? Those people have been labeled through history heretics because they went against the Catholic Church and what they did to them. You can, you can read it. Get the Fox, Fox's Book of Martyrs. It will horrify you. It, it is just some of the, 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 the grossest things that could possibly be imagined that they did. Listen. While priests stood by waiting for those people to repent and turn to the Catholic Church. And again, you look at that and you go, how could they ever justify that? You know how they could justify it? Turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Verse 13, Jesus is a little further down the road in His ministry here. And when Jesus, verse 13, Matthew 16, Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi. He asked His disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, and some Elias, or Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, he saith unto them. But whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Blessed art thou, Simon Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Watch this. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And what I want you to understand is, of course, the Roman Catholic Church would go back to Peter as their first pope. And the first pope in their mind is the one that was given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. He is the one that received the keys to the literal, physical, Davidic, what's the next word? Governmental kingdom on the earth that will be ruled and reigned by Jesus Christ. But you see, what they teach is the Pope is the earthly representation of Jesus Christ on this earth. And the kingdom of heaven has been entrusted to them as a governmental kingdom. And that's why the Bible says that they rule over the kings of the earth. That's why Charlemagne came before the king and bowed before the king and the king said, This day thou art crowned by God. 
and it was a good deal. The Pope got to be God, and he got to be king. But he was crowned by God, and the Holy Roman Empire was established. Have you ever wondered why it was called the Holy Roman Empire that went to go mete out all these atrocities upon all of these people who didn't believe the way that they believed? You know why they could be justified in doing that? Because we are the kingdom of heaven. And if you are a heretic against that kingdom, our job is to establish the rule and reign of Jesus Christ on this planet. And it all comes from bad teaching about a guy that supposedly was a first pope who received keys to the kingdom of heaven. And that's, you know what, if you'll, if you'll begin to see how that fits in, you'll begin to understand that Satan always has a counterfeit. Satan always is going to counter what God is actually going to do, and he is actually going to do this in, in the millennium. And that's the, the time that we're talking about, the, the kingdom of heaven, first of all. Then, letter B. Let's, let's talk about another name for this period of time in the Bible. And let me ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 19. You're right there in 16. Turn over to just a couple of pages to Matthew chapter 19. And verse... 28, and Jesus said unto them, verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So obviously the time that we're talking about is the millennium, and the word that is used to refer to this time is... The regeneration. The regeneration. Now, something interesting about this, this word, the word regeneration. Now, you, you've heard that word many times, but when you go to the Bible, what you find is the word regeneration is found only two times, two times in the entire Bible. And the word regeneration means new birth. Now, you can hold your place here in, in Matthew chapter 19 and turn over to the book of Titus. The book of Titus. Chapter 3. This is the other place that the, the, the word is found. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. Go back to verse 4. But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Okay, the word means new birth, and it's used here in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. It's used in reference to believers being born again, being those who are the recipients of the new birth. Okay, now, go back to Matthew chapter 19, where we were. In this passage, it's used in reference to the earth 
being born again. And this is something that you need to understand about the millennium. It's the first bullet there on your study sheet. It is used here, the word regeneration, it's used here to refer to what will happen to the earth at the beginning of the millennium. Something's going to happen to this earth. Okay, now, what's going to happen next on this planet? We're waiting for the rapture. That's when God removes all of the believers on this planet. The, the planet will be thrust into those seven years of tribulation. At the conclusion of those seven years, Jesus Christ will open heaven. He'll come back with the armies of heaven, of which we'll be a part, and He'll come back to this planet. And at that period of time, the earth is going to be born again. It's going to be regenerated, and I don't know if you figured it out. I think you probably have, but there is right now something definitely wrong with the earth. That's on your study sheet. Something is definitely wrong with the earth. Now, you know what? We may not know that, but the earth does. You begin to look and, and just see what, what takes place on the, this planet, man. The, the ground convulses into earthquakes. Mountains erupt into volcanoes. Waters heap up in the ocean into to tidal waves. W winds swirl around into hurricanes and typhoons and, and, and tornadoes. And, and the reason for this is because the earth, according to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 17, when man chose to sin and rebel against God, the earth, the ground, came under a curse. And because of that curse that came upon the earth, all of these things happen. And right now, according to Romans chapter 8, and I want you to turn over there if you would. Romans chapter 8. And look with me at verse, uh, let's pick up in verse 18. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Watch this now. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. In other words, you, you look at the creation in the, the world and all of the creatures that are running all over the earth, and you know what? This wasn't their doing. They got thrust into this whole curse by someone else's doing, namely Adam. Verse 21, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God... For we know, watch this now, that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. And what he's saying here is, listen, the earth is awaiting its new birth. It's awaiting, it's being born again because of that curse that was placed on the earth. And all of these things that are taking place on the earth, it says that the earth is groaning and travailing, awaiting for that time. And what is just so weird is there's a lot of, a lot of preachers 
They don't have a clue when it comes to this time. And don't do any groaning, don't do any travailing whatsoever, but cows and pigs and trees and dirt do. It's a weird thing. What's weird? A lot of folks that claim to be believers in Jesus Christ that claim that they have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit, which is in Ephesians chapter 1, that down payment guaranteeing that there's going to be a resurrection. And a lot of us are so caught up in this kingdom, our little kingdom, that there's no groaning and travailing as we await the redemption of this body. Hey, your soul and your spirit were redeemed. They were born again the day that you received Jesus Christ as your Savior. But your body, it awaits its redemption. And listen, I'm just, I'm just telling you, based on Romans chapter 8, if your walk in Jesus Christ is what it ought to be, there ought to be something every single day of your life that longs to be out of this body. There ought to be something that, that just groans within you that awaits that time when your body will receive the redemption and we experience the full manifestation of the sons of God when we've completed that redemption because of, of the body. And, and what he's saying here is that the earth is awaiting that time. And the earth, next bullet on your, your study sheet, the earth will be regenerated. And I want you to see some of the things that are going to take place on this earth at that time. Go back to the book of Isaiah for a sec. Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. And look at verse 6. This is at that time when the earth has been born again, when it's been regenerated. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. Can you imagine that? You, you, you little kids out there playing with leopards and and wolf and all that kind of stuff. And the cow and the bear shall feed. Their young ones shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the suckling shall su- suckling child shall play on the hole of the ass. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den. And, and what those words have reference to are venomous what are venomous snakes right now and little kids during this time when the earth has been regenerated when it's been born again when it's finally redeemed this is what's going to take place go over to in the same book isaiah chapter 65 and verse 25 the wolf and the lamb shall feed together and the lion shall eat straw like the bullock and dust shall be the serpent's meat They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, saith the Lord. And now that you've found your place there, go back to Isaiah 35. Not only are things going to be taking place in the the animal realm that are just absolutely foreign to everything that we know, but things are also going to take place in barren lands and, and barren parts of the earth. Look at... Uh, Isaiah 35, 
Verse 1, the wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it, the excellency of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. And look across the page there, or back a few pages, I'm sorry, to 32, Isaiah 32. And verse 15. Until the Spirit be poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness be a fruitful field, and the fruitful field be counted for a forest. And again, I'm just trying to get you to see that what's going to take place on this planet, it's going to be born again, it's going to be regenerated, and it's going to change the entire complexion of life on this planet. So that's the second name in the scripture with reference to the millennium. So we have the kingdom of heaven, the regeneration. And then turn over in the New Testament to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 3. Now just to kind of help you, we, we talked last week about when you come into the book of Acts... You remember, God is still wanting to set up the kingdom of heaven. He's still offering the kingdom of heaven to the nation of Israel. And so the one who has been given the keys to the kingdom of heaven is the one when it comes to the day of Pentecost. And he preaches to the nation of Israel. And he says, ye men of Jerusalem, ye men of Judea, all ye of Israel. The mouthpiece is the one that has the keys. The one that's going to open the door for those Jews is is Peter. And he's preaching. He's also preaching here in Acts chapter 3. And look at verse 21. Well, go back to verse 20. It says, And he shall send Jesus Christ. This is talking about at this point. Now, he's already ascended to heaven by Acts chapter 3. He's not talking about him sending God sending him at the first time, but the second time. It says in verse 20, And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the... And here's this third name that I want you to see that's in reference to the millennium. The times of restitution of all things. The times of restitution of all things. Watch this now whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things which God hath spoken by the mouth of all His holy prophets since the world began. Now, we have talked about this in our study of the book of Revelation already. God is not exaggerating here when He is talking about every single one of His holy prophets since the world began have all been preaching about the same event. They've all been preaching about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in His kingdom. And what you need to understand is they were preaching about the second coming of Christ, many of them thousands of years before Christ came the first time. This is why I was telling you all of the Bible is pointing to this event when the Lord Jesus Christ will rule and reign on this planet in His kingdom. He calls it the times of restitution of all things. You know, you know, what, he, he say, you know what, if you steal something from somebody 
and, and you get caught in that thing, you, you know what you have to do? You have to make restitution. You know what you got to do? You, you got to give them back what you took. You got to put it back in its place. You know what the times of restitution of all things is? It's when God puts everything back on this planet the way that it was when he created it. That's what we're talking about in the millennium. When the Lord Jesus Christ rules and reigns, the earth is going to be born again. It's going to go through an incredible change, not just with the animals, not just with, with the terrain, everything. The times of restitution of all things. And right here in this passage, there's another term that he used. Look, look back at verse 19. He says in the same message, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And that's letter D on your outline. The times of refreshing. You see, the whole earth, it's groaning and travailing. It's laboring. All of God's people that have had implanted in them the Spirit of God, are groaning and travailing. We're laboring. This is the time of refreshing. It's when we finally go... It's when the earth finally goes... It's the times of refreshing. Jesus Christ will rule and reign over this entire planet. And, and then there's one more thing I want to I show you in terms of this crash, crash course. And then next time we're going to talk specifically from the book of Revelation chapter 20. But I do think that all of these things are important for you to see because these are things that are not actually covered in the book of, uh, of Revelation. Again, all of the Bible has been pointing to this, this time. I'm just trying to grab out some of these things so that we can have a, an understanding of what this time is actually going to be. Now, the next thing I want you to see are the prophecies of the kingdom. The prophecies of this, this kingdom. The prophecies of the millennium. In fact, I, I think I, I messed up on that. It should be the prophecies of the millennium. You might want to just correct that on your study sheet. The prophecies of the millennium. And the first prophecy I want to show you is a prophecy that was given by Gabriel in Luke chapter 1. So why don't you turn there if you would. Luke chapter 1. And of course this is the passage where Gabriel appears to the Virgin Mary and gives her a prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is rather interesting in this little prophecy that he gives that there are seven shouts or shouts that are revealed here. And there's a method to my madness in calling your attention to that. But as, as he comes to Mary, he says in verse 30, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And of course, you know, if an angel, you know, interrupted you, when you're having your devotions tomorrow, you would probably, you know, be dropping your dentures or something, and you would need that, you'd need that, that angel to say, hey, chill out, babe, okay, and, and that's, that's basically what he says here, that's rather crass, but, okay, verse 31, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus, he shall be great, 
and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Now normally, this is a Christmas story, you know. But, but notice here the, the seven shouts or shalls, okay? He tells her that she shalt conceive in thy womb, okay? And if you'll cross-reference that with verse 34, he was prophesying the virgin birth to her because Mary knew very well that she had never known a man and didn't have a man on the string, okay? And so he says, thou shalt conceive in thy womb. And then the next one, it's in the sentence structure assumed, and shalt bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, number three. He shall be great. He shall be called the son of the highest. And what's interesting is those first five were all fulfilled. And this is just like what we were looking at in Luke chapter 4. God just kind of gives you this little bit, and he continues on with the prophecy. But all first of, uh, all, all those five, all of those th- things took place in the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, number six, number seven, are things that are going to be fulfilled at the second coming of Christ. These are things that have not yet been fulfilled. It says that he shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And again, what he is showing you and what he is telling Mary is a prophecy that concerns the millennial kingdom, what is yet to come. Go back and let's look at letter B, the prophecy of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 9, the prophecy of Isaiah. Now, just a second ago, we we looked at some of the things that Isaiah had to say about what's going to take place during this time. But these are the actual prophecies of what's going to be taking place when the Lord Jesus Christ comes. Isaiah chapter 9. And again, another, another Christmas passage. It's on a lot of uh, Christmas cards. Verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and, and, and what you, you do need to, to see here is, look, look back in verse 6, this is the child that is to be born who is the mighty God, who is the everlasting Father. And, and what the Bible is showing you is there was a point in time where Jesus Christ was begotten as a son, but there has never been a time when he was begotten as a God. There's never been a time where he did not exist. There was a time when he was not yet revealed in flesh and blood as a son on this planet, but he has always been the mighty God, Jehovah God, the everlasting Father. This is in reference to Christ, obviously. The Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon... Uh, and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even 
forever. And I love this part. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Even though they rejected him the first time, the nation of Israel will turn to their Messiah and he will establish this kingdom and the government. That's why we've been saying all along, this kingdom, this millennium, is a governmental kingdom. It is a Davidic kingdom. Everywhere we're going, you're seeing he's going to sit on the throne of his father, David, all in reference to this period of time. And, and, and in terms of, of, of the, the actual rule that Christ will mediate and, and the government that will be upon his shoulder, go over to Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40, and, and watch... Watch what it says here. When when the Lord Jesus Christ rules on this planet, guys, there is going to be a perfect blending of, of severity and tenderness. And that's what he reveals to us here in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 10 and 11. Watch this. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand and His arm shall rule for Him. And we've seen already in our study of the book of Revelation that He will rule the nations with a rod of what? A rod of iron. In that strong hand He will rule. Behold, His reward is with Him and His work before Him. Now, coming out of that strong hand where He'll rule the nations with a rod of iron. Watch verse 11. He shall feed His flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. You know what? Jesus Christ is going to come to this planet and rule and reign and he is going to be velvet steel. All of the strength that you can imagine and yet all of the tenderness that you could possibly imagine. That's what Isaiah has to say about this time. And and let's look at just one more. You can see I've already filled in the last two there for you because we're not going to have time. I would encourage you to to study those things out on your own and look at some of these other prophecies. But go back to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 2. Now you remember that Nebuchadnezzar had a, had, a, had a vision, he didn't quite understand it, and Daniel was in the kingdom and found his prominence in the kingdom by interpreting the, the king's vision. But look in Daniel chapter 2, verse 31, Daniel tells him what he saw, Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image, this great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible." We would say today it was awesome. The image's head was of fine gold. Okay, now, and we're not going to make a big, long study of this. Some of you already know this. Some of you are newer to the Bible. This is something you'll just have to, to spend a few weeks fully understanding. But he goes on through the rest of this passage uh, down in the end of verse 38 and 39 to begin to define who these kingdoms actually were in this image that the, that the king saw in, in this, this vision. Look at verse 32. The image's head was of fine gold, Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Nebuchadnezzar knows what it is. He knows what the vision is. He just doesn't know what it means. And, and Daniel's going to go on to explain to him that the image's head 
is Babylon. It's that kingdom that Nebuchadnezzar is the king over. His breast and his arms of silver. And as he goes on to define this, this is going to be the kingdom that would follow that Babylonian kingdom, the Medo-Persian empire. His belly and his thighs of brass. And he's going to define this as the Grecian empire that would follow the Medo-Persian empire. His legs of iron, his feet part of iron, and part of clay, and that is going to be defined as the Roman Empire. And so he, he's spelling all of these thing, things out there. And, and come down to um, oh, verse, uh, uh, the end of verse 38. Thou art this head of gold, You're, it's that Babylonian kingdom, and after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all these shall it break in pieces and bruise. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it the strength of iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay. And before I lose you totally on this deal, let me just explain to you what he's saying. You've seen this, this image. Okay, this image is going to show you the empires of the world. Babylon is in charge right now, and you're the man, Neb. You're the king. Okay, it's going to be transferred, though, into a Medo-Persian empire, and then it's going to become a Grecian empire, and then it's going to become the Roman empire. And you know what? That Roman empire is going to be revisited in the last days, and he begins to talk about the ten toes that are on this image. Okay, now listen, make it simple. We saw back in, in chapter uh, 17, 18, 19, or in, in the book of Revelation, there's going to be ten kings that are going to form a confederacy during the tribulation period. Those are the ten toes of this image that he's seen here. And, and, okay, that's what I want you to see here. It's all pointing now to the end times. Ten kings are going to be set on, on the, these thrones. Look at verse 40, 44. And in the days of these kings... Those ten toes shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. And what I'm wanting you to see is way back when Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, God was already pointing to a time that's in the very, very near future in our history, guys. When the Lord Jesus Christ and all these ten kings are going to set themselves and think that they are all that and a bag of chips, and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is going to come and blast those kingdoms, and He's going to take those toes and pulverize them and establish His kingdom on the earth. And go over to Daniel chapter 7. This one's a little easier to understand. I think even I understand this one. Just kidding. Daniel chapter 7. Look at verse 13 and 14. Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, 
nations and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and His kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. And again, all the way through that book, all of God's holy prophets since the world began have been talking about that time when the Lord Jesus Christ finally sets up that kingdom and He finally gets the glory that He deserves. Now listen, there's, there's some of you that are here tonight. And please don't, don't, don't pack up. There's some of you that are here tonight that have never come to the place in your life where you have been regenerated. You've never experienced the new birth. The earth is going to receive that at the millennium. You see, what God wants to do is He wants you to be regenerated right now so that you can be a part of this this kingdom that shall have no end. Now this morning, we talked about all of those that refuse to allow God to bring them to that place of regeneration, being born again. The consequences are you either spend eternity in hell or you're made a part of the family of God and thereby become a citizen of a kingdom that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to establish on this earth and of this kingdom. There shall be no end because it's going to be blended into another kingdom, an eternal kingdom. And we'll, we'll see that as we get into Revelation 21 and 22. But now listen. If you're here tonight, you've never been born again. That's the whole issue of life. And if you missed everything else in this, please understand, that's what God has been after, to be a part of that kingdom. It's not, an, it's not about being good enough for it, because as we nailed this morning, there ain't anybody good enough to make it into that kingdom. You've got to be born into that kingdom by a spiritual birth. To enter into the kingdom of heaven, you must be a part of the kingdom of God, which is that spiritual kingdom that is within you that takes place when you're born again by the Spirit of God. And so if you're here tonight and you've never come to that place, as our service comes to a conclusion, our pastors are going to be here, we would love the privilege of being able to, to talk to you about receiving Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Now, Lord, we thank you tonight for the Lord Jesus Christ and the kingdom that's going to be established on this earth. And oh my goodness, Lord, thank you so much that you allow us to be a, a, a part of this. It's, it's what man has been longing for, this utopia that we keep talking about and singing about and writing about. And we long for that because it's what we were created for. You intended for this planet to be the place where you rule and reign and have the preeminence. And Lord, we long for the day when your kingdom does come to this earth and your will is done on earth as it is in heaven tonight. And oh Lord, may we as your people groan and travail awaiting the redemption of, of these bodies when we, we finally have been removed from, from even the presence of sin. 
And oh Lord, help us as, as we go through each, each day to live with, with that longing for You to get the glory that You deserve. And oh Lord, those that are, that are here tonight that don't know You as their Savior, I, I pray that, that this would be their night. That they would yield, that they would submit, that they would surrender themselves to Your Lordship and be born into Your family. And so, Lord, I pray right now that You would draw them to Yourself. Reprove them. Confront them with their sin and Your righteousness and the judgment that is to come. And I pray tonight for the salvation of people in this very room. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.